Well, good morning, everyone. When Cindy uh, said at the beginning, those who know me from of old, I actually thought she was going to talk about camping and how she's missed it so much overnight because she needed to be here. Not quite, but it wasn't that like that at all. Uh, and then she said something about not knowing what I was going to speak about. Well, I'm, that might be two of us, of course. Um, but to be fair, she had done her preparation earlier in the week, and I uh, hadn't, so I haven't given her all the detail. Anyway, here we are. It's great to be here. I know of no other person in this church who could encourage so many people to move so many rows forward in such a short time. <laughs> right, well... Um, the title uh, I've given today, May the 4th Be With You, is not a reference to a particular month between April and June, right? although May the 4th is sometimes known as Star Wars Day, right? um, <coughs> but it, it, it's more than that. In, in 1977, I went with a friend to the Odeon Cinema in Leicester Square, you know, one of these really big screen cinemas like you didn't get in the uh, provinces, if you like. Uh, and saw this. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was just watching the smiles, especially among the older generation here, uh, as they're watching that. So if you were to watch that film now on the Disney Channel, what would be different? It would be episode four, wouldn't it? So, you know, it's designed to confuse old folk like me, because that's episode one in my mind still very firmly because that was the first one that came out. And there is some argument and discussion about which episode should you watch first if you're going to watch the whole series, which you can, you can do now. Now, for those of you who are used to sort of all kinds of visual effects, this particular one was just so new and so outstanding. We'd never seen anything that great on a film before. Now, you, you, you know, you younger generation is going to laugh. You'll think that's you know, ancient history. But, but it really was a step up, a revolution in the way that things uh, were filmed and how they were put across at the cinema. Well, my thoughts on this were prompted by a thread. Now, a thread, for those of you who are not familiar with it, in social media terms, um, a thread uh, is a post on Twitter. Uh, somebody's put some inf uh, text up, no more than 280 characters, but they've got more to say than that, so they then keep adding extra um, posts, uh, numbered often one after the other. And I saw this thread on Twitter. Joash Thomas, he's interesting. He is in, born in India, grew up in the States, lives in Canada, and is married to a Russian woman. So, so really, really interesting combination. He said, a few years ago, Valentina and I were offered free tickets to watch Star Wars Rogue One uh, with friends. We'd never watched any Star Wars movies before this, so naturally, the movie seemed great, but we couldn't make any sense of it. Well, then he adds... A few years later, we got free tickets. This is a good deal. He's got free tickets twice now. Free tickets to watch Star Wars Episode Nine. So we did that. Again, great movie. Still didn't make much sense to us. Then Disney Plus came out, and we decided to watch Star Wars in chronological order. So we watched Solo, and things made more sense. But then... We watched it in the original release order. Episodes 4, 5, and 6, followed by episodes 1, 2, and 3. Now it made much more sense. 
we even started feeling like Star Wars fans. Then we rewatched Rogue One solo in episode 9, and we got so much more from it this time. He went on to say, Why do I share all this? Just like Valentina and I watched Star Wars without any previous context, so many Western Christians study the Bible by jumping right into individual verses, stories, and books of the Bible. Over the uh, last few weeks, we've been using, if you like, a magnifying glass as we've been looking at the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians. We've, we've focused on, on one chapter at a time. Sometimes we'll, we'll go to microscopic level where we'll just focus on one verse and see what God has to teach us through that. And these are all good and valid and helpful ways to look at the Bible. But sometimes it is just really good to, to, to go for the wide-angle lens. It's a bit like on your mobile phone, you know, that panoramic view where you can just you know, scan across the horizon and when it comes out you've got this very wide, narrow picture but you see so much there. And if we can step back sometimes and look at the Bible in its completeness, in its wholeness, there's still some great messages for us. And so I want to introduce you to the Bible in six steps, really. Uh, and the first of these, God's big story, starts off with creation. That's Genesis chapters 1 and 2, isn't it? As we read about creation right at the beginning of the Bible, the, the first two chapters of the Bible. Uh, and, and that section, if you like, only six sections of the whole Bible, but that section is only two chapters because then we get to chapter three and that's when things go badly wrong. We call it the fall and it's when Adam and Eve violated, deliberately disobeyed God's commands to them uh, and they fell from their relationship with God. They fell from God's favor in, 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 and they fell from obedience. And that, the consequences of that would affect all of their descendants from there on out. That's the second part of our six steps through the Bible. And then we come to the third step. And it starts in Genesis chapter 3. And it carries on through the Old Testament. And that is the promise. The promise that God is going to bring someone to, create, to rescue us. The promise that God will somehow put things right. And so now we've got in three steps the whole Old Testament. Creation, fall, and the promise. And then we come to the gospel, the good news about Jesus. We read about it in the New Testament, in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. We read about his life and teaching, but most importantly, we read about his death on the cross as a substitute, paying the penalty for our sin and his resurrection and his ascension. And that is the gospel that brings us to a position of faith in Jesus. We, when we understand this, that we stand guilty as charged before God for, for saying, I don't want you in my life. I do want, want to do things my way. When we come to that point and we recognize that we've been doing that, but that God offers forgiveness because Jesus took our penalty, then we can receive that forgiveness, become a believer in Jesus Christ. The Bible talks about us being born again. And that's the bit where we so often start, and quite naturally, in coming to faith in God through Jesus. 
But if we've started there, it's a bit like Star Wars, isn't it? We're not starting at the very beginning of the story. We're starting at episode four, right here, you see? It makes sense to start at episode four in so many ways. But is there a danger? We might have missed something out. The fifth step is mission. So from the time that the Spirit of God came down to the church uh, on the day of Pentecost, right the way to the time when Jesus comes again, there is that period when the church is on a mission to uh, share and to um, tell of the good news of God's forgiveness, of peace with him through Jesus Christ. And one day, it will all come to a culmination as God brings everything together and will bring together his new creation so that those of us who believe in him will live with a physical resurrection and dwell with him forever. So that's the New Testament, the gospel, and the first part of the mission, really, is what we read in the New Testament. We continue that journey in the second part of the mission, if you like, ever since uh, you know, for the last 1,900 years after the, the New Testament was finished. We've got the now right here. That's where we are. And we understand some of that because we try and live and apply the, 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 the Bible as we live it out right now in our lives. But sometimes we don't look back. We don't go back to the Old Testament. We don't actually get to see all of the context of what's there. And what we also sometimes don't think about enough is the future as well and so it's sometimes it is good for us to look at the whole bible as a whole every now and then to remind ourselves that god has a big plan and nothing is going to stop him bringing that all together into his its fulfillment and it's helpful for us uh, to consider not just what's happened in the past What was it that in the Old Testament led to Jesus coming, but also uh, to consider our future? What happens if we die before Jesus returns? And what we know is the Bible teaches us that there is heaven and there is a new creation. And you may, it's possible you've seen this before, I've used this example before, but, but one of Cindy's colleagues, Chris Wright, wrote of it uh, in one of his books. He spoke of heaven um, a bit like an airport transit lounge. Now, back in 2007, we made a trip as a family out to the States to see, uh, to attend the, the wedding of Cindy's niece. And we arrived at Terminal 2 at Heathrow Airport, and we were flying on United, and we, were, we checked in electronically, but we still had to hand in the luggage and all, all of that stuff. And while we were busy queuing up and waiting for this, I said somewhat casually to Cindy, uh, a friend with whom I went sailing, I said, his son runs the customer side of United Airlines here at Heathrow. Within 20 seconds, somebody from behind the counter called out over the counter, James, and I looked, and there was this guy who was a spitting image of his father. So once we checked in the luggage, I went and introduced uh, ourselves and chatted for a bit. Now, his dad had one of the oldest sailing boats in this country, built in 1906. Not many survived the war because they would pull out of land and dried out and rotted away. But, 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 you know, we used to go sailing this, but it was not luxurious. 
Uh, you, you went on it once in your time, and you remember it was, it was actually quite uncomfortable, but it was a classic. It remains a classic. And we chatted with James for a while, and we talked about this, and Tim was with us, um, and he'd sailed on there as well. And he, James said, come with me for a minute. And he said, just wait here. And he took our, our tickets, and he disappeared for five minutes and came back. He said, anybody who sailed on Thalassa deserves an upgrade. And we got it upgraded to business class. Well, it was before the days of the horizontal beds, but it was still a whole lot better than cattle class. Uh, so so, so we, we, this is great. But what was the added bonus was that we now had access to the business lounge of United at Heathrow Airport for an hour, hour and a half. And when you go in there, it's kind of interesting. If you've just bought some snacks because you want to keep going, that was a mistake. Because in the lounge, there's food there of all kinds. There's far better than anything you'll get at the you know, shops in, in behind Duty Free. So we had you know, the really good, comfortable times, lovely chairs for an hour, hour and a half while we waited for our flight to be called. And of course, being business class, we didn't have to board, you know, rush to board right away. We could do that. Never happened to me since, but it was, it was a great memory. Chris uses the analogy that heaven for the Christian, is like a transit lounge. It is a fantastic place. For us, it's a place of rest. It's a place of waiting. It's a place of being with Christ. It's a place awaiting Christ's descent to earth, of waiting for our resurrection bodies and for that new creation which we'll enjoy forever. That gives us a lot of hope, doesn't it? That is exciting. And that is partly because we can step back and look at the big picture. We can look back. We can look forward. This is Chris, uh, his colleague, and that's the book, uh, I think it's chapter 11, The God I Don't Understand. He, he speaks of that particular situation. So I thought it might be helpful to just give something of what we just talked about, a context. And I've asked for two people, it turns out to be a father and daughter act here, to come up and to read us some scripture. So well, Dave and Joe, while you come up, I'll just explain this. What we're going to do here is to just consider the context of Genesis chapter, chapters 1 to 3, and then contrast it with, with Revelation, the last three chapters of the Bible. Do you, do you remember those essays? It's called Compare and Contrast. Okay, well, well, you know, sorry if I'm making some of you squirm by even thinking about that. But in a sense, that's what we're going to do just here as we consider how the Bible starts, some of the things that go wrong, and then how it ends up. So I'm going to start off as we um, do with you, Dave, from Genesis Genesis, <clears throat> Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, 
for the glory of the Lord gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. But you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulphur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Nothing impure will ever enter it nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Let's just pause there. Can you just see how God uh, starts off with everything so great in the Garden of Eden, but how human beings spoil it, they spoil their relationship with God, they start suffering the consequences. But as we come to the end of the book of Revelation, can you see how God doesn't just put things right, he makes things even better. You know, This is the hope that we have, isn't it, as believers? Carry on, please. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulphur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labour you will give birth to children. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree, about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food, until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever 
and ever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendour into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the, the way to the tree of life. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate you both doing that, reading that for us. Can you see the amazing way in which God brings all things together? And that's good, isn't it? It's great we've got something to look forward to. We will see a time when there will be no more injustice, there will be no more suffering, there will be no more pain, no more death, no more sorrow, no more dying. We will not be absent from the Lord, but we will be in his presence if we're believers in Jesus. All of these things just give us so much hope, so much comfort when we go through the challenges and struggles of life. But there are challenges and struggles, aren't there? And, and sometimes in this period that I've labelled now, we, we have those challenges. And so w with apologies to George Lucas, because he might be uh, a bit um, challenged by this next video, I've put together something which perhaps explains some of the tension that we find as Christians when we are uh, living life now. Where do we stand with God? Well, let's have a look and see about these tensions as we go along. So imagine this is us, and uh, that's God up there. And there's a pretty big God, a pretty big gap up there, because we have uh, separated ourselves from God by our sin. But when we come to the cross of Jesus, when we recognize our sin, and we confess it, and we receive forgiveness from Jesus, then what happens at that point is that God saves us, and he sets us apart in position. So when God looks at us, he looks at us as if we're perfect in heaven, because Jesus has covered all of our sins. He's, he's paid the penalty. But then as we move on in our Christian lives now, walking with God, it can be a bit up and down, can't it? We, we, we don't always uh, do the things we should. Sometimes we uh, sin and we fail God in many ways. But all that time we're being set apart practically. We're being sanctified. And so we're being saved from the power of sin over our lives. And then one day when we go to be with him, at that point we're set apart ultimately. We will be glorified. We'll be uh, given our resurrection bodies eventually. Uh, and at the moment, there is that tension until we get to that point, because there's a tension between what we are, because we have been forgiven and God sees us like that, and what we are in the way we live here and now. And so the Christian life is a bit of now, but not yet. Right? We've got this gap, this tension, and we are saved, but we are being saved, and we will be saved. All of those statements are true. 
And so we look forward to that time with anticipation, that Revelation chapters 20, 21, and 22 that we've been, had read to us, knowing that we carry with us some of Genesis chapter 3 and, and the fall and the disobedience of, of, of Adam and Eve in our own lives. And there is that tension that God has taken us uh, into his presence by saving us, but we're, we're still not quite there yet. He sees us as he sees Jesus because our penalty has been dealt with. But we're being saved from the presence of sin. Um, and one day, um, uh, sorry, we're being saved from the power of sin. And one day we will be saved from the presence of sin. So let's go back to Joash Thomas and what he said as that thread continues. As we study these individual passages, without ever weighing them against the larger creation, fall, redemption, and restoration narrative of Scripture, so we end up making mountains out of these individual texts while completely ignoring the overarching themes of the Bible. We're trying not to do that, obviously. When we do this, we reduce the gospel to an individualist escapist fantasy instead of what the gospel truly is, good news for all of creation, both physically and spiritually. We reduce salvation to something for disembodied souls instead of spiritual and physical liberation. Remember, we get a real body, a resurrection body, one day. Okay? Make no mistake, the story of God is justice. The story of Scripture is justice. The same God who created a good world out of nothing with life flourishing in order will one day restore life flourishing in order to this chaos when Jesus returns on earth as it is in heaven. The gospel good news, is that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But the gospel is also that Jesus is coming back to redeem and restore all of creation from sin, including injustice. Don't settle for a partial good news. Yearn for the full gospel. So that's how God's big story fits together. So I think it's great if we take something away with us. And one of the ways we take it away is by just reviewing it. I'm going to ask you to just go through these steps with me. I want to hear you as we say. Step one is creation. Step two is fall, then promise, gospel, mission, and then the new creation. Again, creation, fall, promise, gospel, mission, and new creation. That's the Bible in God's big story in a nutshell. So let's keep this simple reminder of it to help us think of the bigger picture. And by the way, the fourth episode of Star Wars is the one to start with. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that when we get caught up in our individual situations, and, and they're very real to us, um, they cause all kinds of joys and happiness. They cause sorrow, sadness, stress, um, anxiety, all of those things. We thank you that the Bible reminds us that we can step back and have a real future hope. A hope that when we die, we go to be with you through faith in Jesus. That one day we will be given a glorious resurrection body that will exist in a new creation that will not have any 
of the problems and challenges that this planet currently has. We thank you that that is a you bringing to fulfillment all of what was given a, a, we were given a glimpse of it in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And we look forward and anticipate that day. In the meantime, Father, as we live in that tension of now and but not yet, I ask you that you would help us to walk trusting you, to walk by faith, to walk in obedience, and to walk close to you that we might reflect Jesus to those around us. Amen.